Welcome to the Event Production Show podcast. These sessions were recorded from our 2022 show and are now available for you to listen to on the move. This session is all about counting the cost. As the industry fights to bounce back strongly this year, how can event organisers and suppliers cope with the rising cost of fuel, supplies and materials? Will that be passed on to ticket buyers? Are event organisers willing and able to take the hit? And how much of a rise in costs is expected? Leading industry figures discuss the challenges and potential solutions. Thanks for coming. This is the um, Counting the Cost panel um, or session. We uh, are going to explore probably the biggest challenge, I would say, that's facing the industry this this um, season, which is how on earth we're going to cope with um, inflation and rising costs across the board, um, from staff to materials, um, uh, pretty much everywhere uh, across the supply chain uh, across the soaring. Um, and in some cases, festivals and events are dealing with Revenue from tickets sold in 2019. So, first of all, I'm Christopher Bauer. I'm editor of Access All Areas magazine. Um, got a great uh, panel up here. I'm going to um, let the um, panelists introduce themselves in terms of what they do and uh, their sort of interest to give a bit more flavour in terms of um, you know the amount of events and what kind of events that they look after. Um, Dave Keeley, you don't necessarily look after events. You, you're chair of Production Services Association. If you could just um, to start by briefly kind of talking about what your association does and your past in terms of um, the businesses. So, hi. Um, I am the chairman of the PSA, Production Services Association. Uh, we're the largest association that represents uh, freelancers, uh, individuals and companies that work in the live event industry. Uh, we've been going since the mid-1980s. Uh, I'm a founder member of it. And we've been working, uh, particularly since lockdown, in helping our members with... CRF grants, for example, from the government. And uh, we also have a, uh, the PSA Benevolent Fund. is our charity called Stagehand. And we've raised over three million pounds over the last two years uh, through our colleagues in the music industry. And we've helped give out uh, grants to many people who have been financially impacted by COVID and the pandemic. And uh, we've done 10 rounds of grants, uh, which has really helped a lot of people in a lot of desperate need. So, and prior to that, I obviously have a long career in working in the events industry. I was the chair, I was the CEO of PRG Europe for 15 years. Yeah, thank you very much. And just to your left is Laura Armstrong from uh, Ellis Events, formerly known as Loud Sound. You are a um, in the production uh, specialist. You work on events for clients, including AEG, AEG uh, Silver Points uh, East, and um, BST. Part, etc. So, if you can just talk through a little bit about your kind of history and what you currently do in terms of projects as well. Yes, yeah, so we have quite a broad spectrum. Um, traditionally, we've supported AEG as their production partner on BST and All Points East, um, and we also work across ceremonials and sporting events as well. Great stuff. And um, Claire Goodchild, so you you are co director of uh, We Organise Chaos, and um, you, know, you, you uh, look after a good number of independent events are raging up to around about 25,000 capacity and uh, you were behind Standing Pooling, which was the only independent festival to take place when you, on the, on the you know, first opportunity uh, the industry had to kind of run a festival, essentially. Um, uh, on, what, what was it the first weekend of July? It was the first weekend after lockdown was lifted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was four days after lockdown was lifted. We opened our doors and then we uh, swiftly closed them again <laughs> on the Sunday after a rainstorm. So, uh, yeah, that was the only non-events research programme. It was. 
It was a it was a, a challenge and an achievement for everyone involved, I think. Yeah. Can you just give me a bit of a, or the audience a bit of a flavour for the other kind of events that you yeah, um, we mostly deal with um, independent events, uh, festivals, uh, ranging, like you said, up to about 25,000 cap. Um, so we look after Standon, as you said, uh, We Out Here Festival, uh, Outlook UK, uh, new for this year. Uh, we also do Detonate uh, and a new one called Rock and Roll Circus uh, in Newcastle. Um, so yeah, we've got a busy summer. Yeah, absolutely. And um, never more from Vision 9, if you could just, you, you, you handle um, Broadmasters, which is a great festival, obviously, on the coast, um, down in the West Country, and uh, obviously NAS as well. So if you can just give me a little bit of background in terms of your responsibility. And your sure, yeah. Um, so I'm uh, Kevin Moore, Festival Director at Vision 9. Um, actually, Chris, we run Broadmasters, a 50,000 uh, festival down in Newquay. So music and surf festival before it... Um, Came trendy to cancel shows in 2020. We also had to cancel our show in 2019 <laughs> due to the, the severe wind weather that we had. Um, but we were very lucky to be able to deliver four masters in 2021. Uh, we were the week or two after standing. Yeah. Um, and then NAS is our other show. It's a 30,000 capacity show down in Shepton Mallet. Uh, that is a music and action sport and street art festival. Um, and that was one of our shows we weren't able to get away this year, but very much looking forward to coming back into the market for 2022. Great stuff. Okay, so I mean, you know, you've all managed to get events away during the pandemic, which is uh, some achievement in itself. And now we're in a situation where there's the kind of debris, if you like, from that. But there's there's, there's um, you know, issues with rising costs. We obviously I just alluded to earlier on. But I mean, how I suppose I mean I'm I'm hearing that you know costs of costs are rising fifteen to thirty percent uh, production materials. Um, how Impacted are you, Kevin? If we start with you, by the rising costs, and what area are you most concerned by? Uh, so very impacted. Um, so with Boremasters, at least we run a show and we're able to kind of bring in new ticket buyers, and we're in a very privileged position now. That show is now sold out. Um, however, we kind of set our we set our pricing structure based on a set of assumptions around the cost base, which we already built quite a bit of fat into. But there is so much volatility in the in the supply chain and the cost base at the minute that it's very difficult to kind of keep hold on your margin. And uh, you know we've we've all had to cancel shows. Like margins are tight for everybody, but we're not in a position where we can just have that margin continually eroded. It's, it's proving very problematic. Um, with with NAS, we weren't able to run that show, so we've got rolled over tickets in 2019. So we've got 29 ticket. 2019 ticket revenue, but we're now facing 2022 inflation, inflation-driven prices. So it is a big factor, uh, and we're not the only festival in that particular instance. But to be honest, I wouldn't say there's one particular area where we're seeing that pressure. It's everywhere. Um, <laughs> I, 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 if, if it's not staging, it's crew catering. If it's not catering, it's security. If it's, not, it's, it's waste management. Like everyone's costs everywhere are going up, and it's not just the cost of the infrastructure, it's the cost of haulage, and if it's not the cost of haulage, it's the cost of labour. Like everything's everything's going on. And with, with, with Cornwall particularly, haulage is a big one for us. Uh, it's at the end of the country, you know, that, that's a that's a huge thing. We might we might be able to negotiate really hard and get a really good deal and work well with the supplier to bring in infrastructure at a set cost. But it's then the associated cost of getting that infrastructure to your show to then be built. Like there's pressure all over. Claire, you work with events of all different shapes and sizes, but they're primarily independent. 
as I understand it. So perhaps don't have the resources that some of um, Laura's um, <laughs> operations may have. So I'm just wondering, you know, what, what impact you're seeing at those events and how big, how are how are these operators and how are you working your way through these difficult challenges? I mean, it absolutely mirrors what Kevin said, really. It's, it's completely across the board. Um, costs are going up. Uh, minimum of 10% and up, um, depending on the show and the location. And, um, but it is just everything. It, it's everything. Um, and when you're an independent show, you know, we work on very tight margins. We don't have the ability to, uh, to be able to erode that profit um, because we just don't have it. And we don't have a lot of fat, so we can't cut things in the same way that maybe bigger shows could cut things because we're working on, you know, on a bare minimum, really. Um, and we don't have the ability also to put our, our ticket prices up because our customers are not seeing an increase in the lineup. They're not seeing an increase in their experience. And if our budgets have gone up by 10, 20, 30%, I've even heard some people say, uh, our ticket prices aren't justifying a 10, 20, 30% increase because they're not seeing 30% extra headliners. They're not seeing 30% extra experience. Um, so we're in that situation where the only way that we can go really is to erode our profit margins. And for a lot of people, that's not going to be feasible for much longer. Laura, obviously AEG, for example, have kind of deeper pockets that are quite independent festivals. Your operation. Um, so, does, does that obviously? I would imagine that puts them in a bit of a more secure situation. But what? How? What are you working your way through? In terms of well, I think it's that's an assumption. I think a lot of people would have. But I think the argument I would counteract that with is: yes, we might have more budget to begin with, but we're also looking at booking really big headliners. We've got Adele for two dates at BST. And a lot of that ticket margin isn't necessarily set by us as a production company that are developing all of the costs and the budget for that show. And you might have Adele and her team that set a margin that they're looking to do to achieve on their tour. And you've got to bear in mind, even those big headliners, they haven't toured. They haven't, you know, Adele's a good example. She hasn't toured for three years. So they're setting the profit margins. And that doesn't mean that we can necessarily soak that margin up into the production budget. So there is still that conflict between promoter, production agency, the people that are delivering the shows. And I think, like Claire and, and, and Kevin both said, it's across the board and it's, there's not really, there doesn't seem to be any contract that's not affected by it at the moment. So just as you nail one part of the budget and you think, right, that's been quoted, okay, that's a 10% increase, yeah, we can work with that, let's look at another element. You've then got a 40% increase on another show or another contractor and you're like, this isn't levelling out across the board. So... It's just general uh, frustration of increased costs. I mean, anecdotally, just on that point, you know, I had a contractor this morning who was PO'd, booked in, locked in, who came back to me and said, I can no longer do that price. It will be double, double if you want this delivered. On a contracted on a element. Con on a contracted element. Does that not make you reconsider your relationship from going forward? That's, is that not short termism from their perspective? Because clearly next year... Hopefully the market will settle down. Hopefully costs will start to come down a little bit. Or I would imagine the market's not going to be quite so crazy as this year. I, so the dynamic think, might be different. I think what's really challenging about it is, uh, and I was having this, this conversation with uh, an independent promoter that we always also work with. You know, we were very lucky to get away with the independent show in 2021. 
uh, which was a new show in Crystal Palace, and we were able to get that away. But they, you know, we've gone back to them with revised costs, but at the moment for how it will be this year, and they've said that we got it this price last year. And I said, you know, just because we had the benefit of getting some shows away in 2021, the market's been flooded because everyone's coming back in with their with their um, with their new events or with their existing events or another event because they're trying to do another new event. And I think. Yes, it may affect your relationship with that contractor, but the contractor also has limitless options at the same time with your shows to just go and deliver their kit elsewhere. You know, All Points East, for example, is on the bank holiday weekend. And there's, you know, I don't know, I can think of 10 off the top of my head that are that same weekend. So yes, in principle, it does damage your relationship, but I think contractors are looking for the highest rate and the quickest PO and the best payment terms. Contractors need them. They need to build up their They need their money back. Like, on the one hand, it's really frustrating from my point of view as a promoter, but I get it. Like there's, there's two years of, of no work for those contractors. They're having to build back up their reserves. They need to reinvest in their kit if they want their business to continue. Like, I get it. It's just a very challenging position. And I, I would hope uh, just a, a very challenging year. I, just, I don't think it's going to get better automatically in 23. I do think 22 is going to be a pinch. Um, and I don't think there's, you know, there's things we can try and do, try and pass cost on to the consumer, you're going to do that to such a degree. We talk about the cost of a pint before. It's like, well, we'll try and make some of that money back on bars. Cost of a pint of Boardmaster this year is 650. That's just to maintain our margin. I can't put a pint of a price up in Newton to seven pounds. That's, I've been, I've, we chased out of town, yeah. chased out of the Southwest. <laughs> so Dave, from your perspective, obviously, you know, the production services association, you, know, you you're, you've got a history of running a supply company. Uh, you're very much engaged with, with people across the industry. You can see this, this frustrations from their perspective, I'm sure. I mean, how difficult is it for them to kind of you know, work with rising costs and actually be able to go to these kind of operators, these production companies and promoters and come in at a reasonable price? I mean, is it possible? I mean, where you can tell at um, I think obviously it's been a very bad two years for most production companies. Um, from the ones that are members and the ones I've been talking to the last six months, essentially, if you wanted to do a show in 2022, you need to have it booked before the end of 21. You have to pay deposits before 21. And that way, they would agree to the costings on, on a price that they'd agree. Now, even having done that by the end of 21, prices already in the first quarter of this year have gone up and are going to continue to go up to fill the fuel and other issues. So it's going to be a very difficult year. We were all hoping, of course, that after the two very quiet years, that 22 was going to be the big, wonderful, uh, you know, enlightened year where everything gets back to normal. It won't get back to normal. There will be lots of shows. And my worry is there will be, unfortunately, some shows that won't happen because there won't be enough people is a key thing. There won't be enough infrastructure, which is just things like trackway and fencing and security stewarding and then you've got the lack of trained technicians riggers uh, video technicians lighting technicians because we lost a lot of those people during the pandemic and they went off to different sectors uh, a lot of riggers and video technicians for example went off to the film and tv sector where they find their life is a lot easier and they're making more money so they're not likely to come back so it's very difficult um and then on top of that the things going on in the east of europe who knows what impact that's going to have, particularly with, you know, like American brands, for example, coming and wanting to talk. Historically, they've been very reticent and very scared of doing that and have often cancelled. 
So it's not a good look. I mean, I think for the UK industry specifically, and I think for festivals, it should be a successful year, but it's only going to get us back, not even to where we were in 2019, but it's going to help those companies at least recover some of those, that money that they lost. But it's still going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Claire, has the, the obviously everyone's super concerned about what's happening in Ukraine, but in terms of the way it's looking like it might impact your business this year, are you seeing any signs of costs rising on the back of that even further? I mean, there's talks of, you know, fuel costs and everything obviously going up as a result of it, and, and it's predicted to go up a lot more. That will impact lots of areas of the, <clears throat> of the industry this, this, this uh, season. How concerned are you and what you seeing in the sense of rises? I mean, I think fuel prices, yeah, it is a concern, like you say. Um, nobody has flagged yet um, that Ukraine is causing the prices to go up. I think they have for you, yeah. haven't they? We discussed yeah, it. We, we day, discussed yeah, we discussed it. So we, um, we're doing, um, we're, we try to do as much sustainable, um, you know, remodeling of new faces things as possible at BST and all points east but um and the interesting thing for British summer times we're in the year one of a brand new tender deal that was in 2019 and now we're starting a new six-year tender so we're looking again at everything and how we best kind of try and manufacture it so that will last the duration of the six-year tender and one of the things that was being escalated to us one of our contractors was that the price of plywood has gone up fourfold if not a bit more so you know the quote that we've signed off PO'd agreed set our payment dates you know, they've now come back and said, well, we can't get the ply at that rate. And we said, well, you know, this was signed off before Christmas. So how can we then pick up that additional 40% when there was not the Ukraine <laughs> issue going on? Well, it was going on, but it wasn't, hadn't escalated in the same ma- manner that it has now. So it's really challenging. And that's one of the first things I've heard about. But I think, I think the general consensus with it is fuel is what I think we're mainly concerned about, which was already an increase due to the tax um, duty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fuel is is massive, and I obviously I understand that we all need to be looking to go sustainable and looking at different options, and this is going to push us into it. But I think we also have to consider that there isn't really the infrastructure out there for everybody to suddenly use sustainable fuels this season, and there isn't enough time for us to be able to do that. Um, and then also, you know, what's going to happen to biofuel costs? Are they also going to go? Who knows? We don't know. So, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just left us in a very precarious situation because we still, we still even now, don't know what that's going to cost us. And um, we've got shows going out the door in a couple of months. Three months so. Are there any feasible ways that costs can be cut? I mean, obviously, you can't, cost, you can't make any compromises when it comes to security and safety of people on site, you know, of workers. Um, you know, you, the infrastructure needs to be in place. But do you think going forward, we're going to see slightly and maybe output until we come through the other side of this do you think we're going to see slightly less uh, technically technically advanced or involved or impressive productions at outdoor events i think i think in the way that the festival market was leading was and the independent sector did this amazingly well i think it was really leading into that really interactive beautiful engaging creative you know very dressed and you were taken through a journey because a ticket fest a ticket for a festival is not a cheap ticket, you know. Gone are the days that you're paying 80 quid and you're still and you're going up and you're seeing three days worth of amazing bands. So I think there was this development with sort of wilderness, stand-ins, a really good one, 
um, Secret Garden Party, there was these festivals that came about that like kind of took you on a journey and were way more engaging um, than previous festivals. And I think that's the way the market was going in 2019. And I think the worry now would be that it's all of those extras and all of that dressing and all of those new creative concepts. And, you know, they're the things that actually do cost a lot of money. They're bespoke. You have to have a huge amount of army of carpenters, you know, more than anyone to put those sorts of shows on. And I think I think that will there be the things that will get cut because you can't cut on infrastructure. You can't cut on security or medics or... I don't think the challenge is though, you kind of... You, you, you still need to retain an element of that... Um, Kind of uniqueness of the show because ultimately we talk about all this cost rise how is that going to get recovered it is going to have to go to the consumer like you know cost of living is going up that will be the same festival so yes there's only so much you can typically we would look to maybe do five ten percent our ticket pricing in the future we might be looking at you know 10 15 20 percent don't quite know yet um but you need to retain what makes your show unique to justify people find that ticket. Um, so it is so I, I think yes, we are gonna have to try and strip elements of that out of our shows potentially where we need to, but you can only take it so far. But I think the other way is what what we're what we're finding is, is that it's sort of driving I think it all sounds quite negative what we're saying because it isn't a particularly fun time. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think opportunity is that it, it does drive us to try and be more innovative. And just, you know, relook at, we've always done cabins like this. And yes, we've maybe gone through the spec and tried to trim here and there. So actually, is there just a completely different way we can do it? We haven't quite got to those uh, resolutions yet, but that is what we are setting ourselves a target of doing. Like, what, what could we do differently? Could we, could we run this show in a different way that, you know, still retains that customer experience, still retains a safe show which it needs to be yet? Does something in a completely different way, right? But that I think that is the opportunity that is there for, for the 2022 season. Obviously, you know, you, you, there's a, a huge cost saving if you use the same infrastructure for the same event. So if you have a promoter running maybe two festivals, and we were talking to um, you know, Kilimanjaro earlier on, they, they launched a new festival. It might seem like a crazy year to do that when it's so congested, but launching a new festival and piggybacks another festival's infrastructure that they also won't make perfect sense. Do you think as a result of What's happening now? We might see uh, promoters coming together, maybe, you know, independent promoters. Let's use the same, let's go half, I don't know, come to a deal on infrastructure, let's get our events. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I definitely think we're in the most collaborative era of festivals I've, I've ever seen. But just like the, 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 open, the open communication that I have with other festivals, it is, is way more than it ever has been. Everyone was so secretive about, oh, this is how many tickets you sold, this is what we're paying on the there is a huge amount more collaboration. And I do think that is something that we will start to see. I mean, with Vision 9, we've got four masters owned by Superstruct. So that's the portfolio of festivals and, and looking at shared routing, etc. is something that, that is being considered there. And even with NAS, which we own as Vision 9, there are other kind of neighbouring shows that might not be Superstruct portfolio, there might be other shows that actually, you know, make sense for us to try and do some collective deals. I, I do think that is something that we will see this year. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And from the you know from the sort of supplier side, the service suppliers, provider side, I mean, is there anything that 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 um, your sort of members can do or have been talking about in terms of maybe working collectively to solve an issue, you know, for a customer here? Or? Well, it's interesting because uh, 
during the pandemic, we set up the new umbrella association called Love. And for the first time in my career, we have the agents, the artists, the promoters, the managers, the venues and production all talking with one voice. So Live has been, we put Live together in the summer of 2020 and it became a registered company in January last year. And so every week now uh, we have promoters who I've seen competing with each other for the last 35, 40 years, working collaboratively together and working to try and solve these solutions. Uh, this had all really been, been going on prior to the pandemic. For example, in 2019, um, we put a stage into Wembley Stadium for six weeks that everybody that played Wembley Stadium that year used the same stage. They could modify the height deck and various things, but there were a set seven, eight bands that used that same stage. Now, if we can go forward with that, and with tours particularly, some of the, some of the bigger ones and with the festivals, well, similar festival, you know, the infrastructure can be used more than once, um, hopefully two or three times during the course of the summer, rather than having to continually build and dismantle, build and dismantle, then that could be a way of giving easier access to equipment and making and keeping the cost down. I mean, it seems silly, doesn't it? Because, I mean, festivals fundamentally all have a very similar thing. They're in different locations. But maybe going forward, maybe not this year, but in other years, we're going to look at festivals getting together and sharing a location for a month to have two or three or four festivals in the same location rather than having them all in different places. So there are ways we can look at it in an innovative way that should be able to keep costs down because it makes them more efficient. But it's not going to help with the core, the core problems of wages, inflation, tr- you know, trucking costs, travel, transport, fuel. I mean, everything is going up, as we'll all see this year. You know, we could easily be a double-figure inflation by the end of the year. And that's not something where any of us want to be. No. I, I think the challenge with that um, is working on a show that has just gone to three weekends. We, our license has granted for that recently. Is you have the balance of yes, you can stay in a location for longer, and that's a great idea in principle. But then you're wet, you're offsetting that against all the residents in that area and the mm-hmm. infrastructure that belongs in that area to begin with. You know, we've gone to three weekends in Hyde Park and taken one of the licenses that used to happen in September. And one of our big benefits to the residents was saying you know, uh, yes, we're going to be there for longer, but we, you have one build phase, you'll have one break phase, and we're there for three weeks, but we then won't have to dismantle and install. It's not, it wasn't us that did that other show, but you're not going to have that disruption yeah. in a month's time. And that's really great, and it's just, it's more sustainable, you know, it's, it's great in principle, but just, you know, some of these sites are already overpopulated, and it's really hard to do. And you're also relying on the fact it's a dry year. And you're not going yes. to ruin the grass. Yeah. yeah, I think in terms of like collaboration and what you're saying about the industry coming together, and I think yeah, 100% organisations like Live and AIS and whatever, they're they're pushing through stuff for us. They're helping us with you know uh, with business rates, with fuel stuff, with you know, which Links is for the DCMN. Yeah, which is which is great, but at the end of the day. Festivals are commercial competitors, and right now no one can get any kit. <laughs> so we are against each other, and I think it's just really important that we kind of continue to foster that collaboration because I can see that just falling away when someone's got your toilets and your, <laughs> we you have know. a fight. Don't we? <laughs> I think, yeah. Well, well, I, well, the other thing I, I think um, one of the things that's been discussed amongst some promoters is looking at co-pros or sharing talent, or you know, if you are 
you know, could you be two festivals, you know, different sides of the country that could look to share talent? And I think that's something that can be generated. And also to be, let's, let's think of one positive thing. It could be potentially really great to look at how this impacts, you know, UK music scene. Is it about time that we're starting to bring in UK talent up, up the ranks and you're cutting out that secondary level of talent on headliners, on shows even? But, you know, yeah. that's challenging because people have bought a ticket to see a headliner. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there is also other positives as well. I mean, we're all moaning about, you know, staff wages have gone up and, you know, we're having to pay more for labour. But we really needed to make that change. Yeah. You know, we're an industry that's historically run on on pushing people on low wages on long days and it, and it was time to make that change and yeah it's come at a bad time we've been hit with fuel we've been hit with other stuff but actually maybe it's about time that we realize that we are professional people we're, we're working in a profession and we need to stop being so reductive about what we're doing and what our what our teams are doing and uh, and pay people for, for what they're worth you know I've, i'm studying my master's in crowd safety cost me about 10 grand out of my own money and so you know I would expect to see that reflected in my wages this is a professional industry and you're doing a professional job so yeah it's about time we started paying people what they deserved yeah I think, you make a, I think you make a very good point there because for many years and for too long people have been working in this industry because they love the industry they love the idea of the industry they love the sexy idea of rock and roll shows when actually how much they got paid was only secondary or people thought it was secondary and the pandemic and the break is not let people think because they've seen people leave, go to other sectors uh, and get more stable jobs at higher rates of pay, that really we should have been looking at raising our rates of pay in our sector before the pandemic. And I think now, yes, it's going to be painful because rates are going to go up and it's going to affect everything and it'll affect the ticket price in the end. But again, I think now is the time that we need to actually bite the bullet and go ahead and do that. I just wanted to touch on, on um, something that UK Live as a promoter of various festivals around the country. Uh, they own their own infrastructure to a certain degree. Kilimanjaro uh, arrived in last year. Uh, they started having conversations before the pandemic even struck, so it wasn't for that reason uh, they acquired them. But it's been beneficial that they come with, a, you know, that the, the professors come with infrastructure in this package. Do you think, Kevin, that we'll start seeing uh, promoters? consider that going forward, uh, you know, that is it practical for, for many promoters to really start acquiring their own infrastructure and rolling it out when they need? I think you might see some, but it, it comes, we, we've tried to do it in fact, that's we, uh, what year would it have been, 2017 I think it was, um, we went big on our boutique camping at, at Bournemouth and we thought, you know what, we don't need to bring in a contract to this, we'll just buy all the tents ourselves. But then didn't have the expectation how to store them, how to treat them, went back to the storage unit about four months later and they'd all gone mouldy. So like, it's like, yes, you might buy it, but then there's, you have to store that kit, you have to maintain that kit. You then, to make that kit probably worthwhile, you might then have to start hiring that kit. You essentially become a supplier yourself. Um, you, you might start to see that, but I wouldn't say it's something many people are going to go to in fact straight off the bat, because to do that, it's such a big investment anyway. And when, when things are tight as they are, I don't think it's going to be tenable particularly. Um, Laura, AUG's level, I mean, is that something that you're seeing them do, you know, start to look at? Um, I, I think you have to be in line with however long you think you're going to be in that contract for, for that site. Or, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the shows we work on are tendered for a certain year. So 
Four Points East, uh, I think, has another two years, which sometimes just started another six years. And I think what we're trying to do is, um, you know, potentially look at capexing equipment. So looking at what your operational costs are going to the budget, so your staffing element of it or your building break element. But then, you know, if it's going to last a duration of six years, can we capex that cost? Because that sits below the line sometimes, not for all organisations. But So I think that's some something you can look at. But I don't think, you know... That, I think AEG are a great example. You know, they're a promoter and I don't think they would want the additional responsibility and they don't have the knowledge of... And they don't, I don't think they have the interest of buying 50 bell tents or... You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, likewise. I'm sure there might be some wonderful fencing contractors here. I don't really, you know, doesn't float my boat. But the, the, the idea of like, rather than buying... One thing that we're looking to do on formats is, is really invest in the like the, the, the permanent infrastructure inside, so that being things like yeah. power, water, Wi-Fi. It's like rather than hiring in generators every single year, it's like can we just put a load of cable? And it's the same with water. It's the same with like. And whilst you don't necessarily get that return on investment straight away, that might be a you know you might get that money back over a period of five to ten years. But then once it's in, it's in, mm-hmm. and that things like that are, are achievable, and things that, that we know how to do. And so long as you can get the cash out laid there, good old capex in, um, something like that is doable and it is something that we are looking to do. Mm. From a promoter's perspective, again, is it realistic to uh, to reduce the investment you have in talent for, for a show? So, kind of, I mean, I heard someone of a you know, promoter of a fairly large festival saying, I might just cut a headliner. But surely in a market that's more congested than ever. I hate the way of putting it in a market. But, you know, in a festival season, it's more congested than ever. People have got so many choices when it comes to spending their money on tickets. If you cut talent at a high level, surely that just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't no, seem to me that well. It, it's something that comes around once in a while. I, it, it, the same conversations happened off the back of COVID. Like, is this the year where we try and reset talent fees? And whilst everyone might have good intentions, it only takes one pro to break that line and be like, oh, well, you you've turned down that act because they're above the set fee. But if I pay 20 more grand, that means I've got them for my show. People will break bank and they'll do it. And, and again, going back to that point about cost going back to the consumer, you need your talent because that's what sells you the tickets. Like we talk about customer experience, but it's the talent that sells the majority of, of shows. So if you need to pay X to get your artists, you're not, you're not going to, I don't think many promoters would be prepared to take the risk of Saying no, and sort of saying this is this is what I'm willing to pay. Some shows out there do take that stance, and they do very well as a result. But if I have to sell fifty thousand tickets to Broadmasters, that's not necessarily an approach I can take. And that's that's also even without going into exclusivity deals. Well, indeed, yeah, yeah. Do you think there's any kind of positive that might come out of the 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 talent, the way that people are going to have to sort of look and plan? what talent they have on in their events in the sense that you know they mentioned earlier on about US acts for example not wanting to come over because Ukraine historically they've been reluctant there's been other wars going on you've got we're coming out of the pandemic but there are still mitigation measures in certain countries but you know international touring should be picking back up again but in Europe there's going to be major issues so there will still going to be a situation where we're looking at best in talent it's hopefully good for the future of our homegrown artists. Uh, but also, you know, Jordan's in Premier League with a 60% female lineup this year, which is 
great to see. Everything's kind of getting thrown up in the air. Do you think that now is a great time to have to, but in that sense, you know, we're working in a completely different business environment. Uh, will we see the lines of festivals looking different in the years to come as a result of this, this period? I honestly think it depends what sort of show you are. So Boomtown, for example, they're not releasing their lineup until, what, two weeks before, because they know they can sell their tickets based on the, the wonderful, brilliant, unique customer experience that they've got. Like, you, don't, you don't need to know who's playing Boomtown to want to go to Boomtown. Um, there's other sort of similar shows out there who, who might seem similar. I think a show like a Boardmasters or a show like a Reading and Leeds or possibly like some of the, um, the shows at Victoria Park, you're like, you, you haven't got that to fall back on. Like you, you need your bread, not your bread and butter, but, but you need that kind of more established process of booking, I guess, um, to, to justify your ticket price and to, and to sell your show. It's not to say that more shouldn't be done on diversity of lineup. That's not what I'm saying at all, but it, it's more, uh, you know, I think there's only so much you can do before you potentially jeopardize the tickets you might be able to sell. Yeah, I think a good example of that is Four Points East last year was a, you know, if you looked at the lineup, it was very largely UK based. Mm. And that was because we were coming out of the pandemic and you're looking at the booking, you know, however far out that you're booking those artists, you know, it's, it's just as disappointing to a consumer to have someone pull out because of COVID or to be safer and look at what you can book. And I think last year was a good example of um, people just wanting to be out in the market and wanting to, People were buying tickets, but, you know, there were shows that have historically never sold out for the, till the Friday night before the show, and then they're selling out. And last year, it was completely different because the people wanted that experience. People would miss being in a field with their friends, buying a £6.50 pint and being around people. And I think, you know, you don't necessarily have that luxury when you're, when you're quite headline-focused. And even with diversity, I think with all intentions of the world, it needs to get better. There needs to be things put into place to make it better. But if you are a festival based on headliners, which a lot of festivals are based on headliners and not down that secondary line, not all your not all your female headliner artists are going to tour at the same time, and it, and it makes it a challenge because you want to have a diverse lineup, but you might not have the touring headline female artists to tour. Yeah, I think I think what you said as well about like kind of last year, people came out, they bought tickets. We sold more tickets than we've ever sold on some of our shows. Um, and people were forgiving because it was 2021 and they did just want a party, like Laura said. But this year it's going to be a little bit different and people's expectations are going to be higher and they're going to be back to how they were before and they're going to expect their shows to be smooth and wonderful and a great experience. And that means that it's going to cost us more money again. So we're in that situation where, you know, we need to be upping our game all the time. We can't get away with maybe what we might have got away with last year. Okay, Dave, I mean, you, you talked about live earlier on, which obviously was launched as a federation of 13 associations, including your own. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just, what I'm getting to, I mean, they, they, they've done a great job of clearly communicating with DCMS and by the government the, the value of the festival industry, the value of the, the live music industry as a whole, and, um, you know, communicated very, very well with them. Previously, that kind of conversation, those kind of conversations weren't really happening. So we've got a cut in VAT, for example. I think that's now 12.5%. It's going to go up to back to what it was at the end of this month, I believe. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that's going to make it very difficult going forward. I mean, as we've already discussed, and everyone's fully aware, there's just so many challenges still economically to cope as an industry. So what kind of conversations are you aware of that are happening as part of life in terms of the way that uh, I know that government is now quite rightly involved in uh, a lot of things that are you know, bigger than this, but um, for our industry, it's really key that we get continued government support to, to enable the industry to, to build back and thrive. One of the key things that we've been talking to DCMS about is because of Brexit, we have this boring issue of cabotage. So I'm not going to bore everybody to death with what cabotage is right now. But there's a simple ruling whereby it restricts truck movements. So a lot of the large uh, rock and roll trucking companies have now relocated at least one new depot in the EU, either in Ireland or Belgium or Holland. And the reason for this is that if you have EU-registered trucks, they have no restrictions on how many stops they can make within the EU. The problem is, when they come back to the UK, because of cabotage, they can only make two stops. So we argued with DCMS and the Department of Transport for many months that it's within the British government's remit to be able to put a reverse easement on that and therefore not impose cabotage rules on EU-registered trucks coming into the UK. An example of this is that there's one large tour plant this summer that has 90 trucks. If this easement isn't put into place, they have to get twice as many trucks just to be able to do nine shows in the UK. That's not going to happen because those trucks are not going to be there. So we got a, an agreement in principle two weeks ago that this is going to happen. It has to yet be signed off by the Secretary of State. And we've told them, of course, time is of the essence. Now, we're very confident that this will happen. Now, if that does happen, it means that for those big trucking companies that have re-registered half or more than half of their fleet in the EU, they will now be free to also tour unrestricted in the UK, which is a massive win. So that's kind of one example of the many meetings we have of many different subjects with government on a weekly basis. That's great. Um, do you think there's, a, I mean, obviously the industry's kind of pulled for the, the rise in, uh, in return to full fat and to the prices to be delayed further? Yes. Uh, but it would be cool if that. Have, have you got any sense of, uh, of government's uh, appetite to, to, to take that onto account or to cancel that? Right. Obviously, Treasury don't like things like this. Um, various other departments see the value and are arguing on our behalf. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to the Treasury. Um, again, with matters, other matters arising now, again, it's, very, it's been very difficult, we've realised, for the last 18 months to get certain government departments to focus on our industry and just to how valuable we are to the British economy. We've, we've won most of those battles. Um, obviously, we didn't see what was coming down the pike two weeks ago in Ukraine. So again, it's always a matter of trying to get them reinvested in what our issues are. And, and sometimes, obviously, our problems seem very small compared to some of the other issues the government has to deal with. But again, the fact of the matter is that, that yeah, business has to carry on, our economy has to continue, people have to continue to work. So we have weekly and sometimes by uh, two or three meetings a week with DCMS particularly and other departments. And more importantly, um, we also now have actually managed to get uh, the ministers to participate in these calls as well. So instead of us just simply talking to the uh, civil servants, we then pass on the message, we're now speaking directly to ministers. And that's been a change since the reshuffle about four months ago. So that's a positive. Okay, great stuff. 
Uh, we're sort of coming to the end of the time a little bit, so I just thought I'd open up uh, the uh, line of questions to the audience to give you guys an opportunity to, to put any points to, to the panel. Has anyone got any questions? Should we just all cry over our budgets? Group <laughs> 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 cry? Yeah. Holding hands. Hi guys. Uh, yeah, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll repeat something that I, I mentioned yesterday uh, in another panel. It was, it was talking about infrastructure. Uh, I work with the Sherman's Guild. We've got fun fairs across the country. And uh, we're actively looking to talk to other people, either to help to fund and or to lobby to get more um, town power into some of the venues where we all operate um, for the future. Because that's something that you, you mentioned from Vision 9. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I think it's a really good idea, but for us, it, it has so much more benefit. It means we've got our own power supply, we're completely in control, we're not relying on fuel prices, etc. So it, it's, it's a longer-term project, but, but it's definitely the right way to be approaching it. Okay, any other questions? Okay, um, because this conversation has been quite negative, because obviously, <laughs> I was just saying, uh, just we're also we're doing shows this year. Yeah, exactly. that's yeah. what we have to remember. So you know, we've talked about it's a really difficult situation we're all in, but I just wanted to end this for if you could all answer this individually. Um, what for you, uh, starting with Kevin, um, looking back was me, but for, um, Kevin, what for you was being the, the most positive thing that's come out of the pandemic in terms of? The way that you're able to work and the way the industries work you know, together. I think just I think it's I think there's a much more kind of flexible way of, of working and, and kind of like the, I feel like uh, people value their time a lot more. Back to your point before Claire about people being paid what they deserve, yes, what they should be being paid. I think that's a very positive thing. I think the value of expertise has been recognized. I think it's very valuable. Thing and positive things to come out of it, um, and also I, I do think we are on the cusp of some seeing some real, really good innovation in the festival market. It might not come through fully in twenty two, but certain conversations you start to have with people, you think actually there's some really exciting things on the horizon, and I'd love to see them kind of come to fruition um, sooner rather than later. Great stuff. Um, I sat on this stage a year ago, and I said collaboration was the best thing that came out of it and I, and I still stand by that. I think organisations like Live have, have changed the way that we operate as an industry um, and everybody having the opportunity to come together and having people representing us, lobbying for us, um, has been the best and, and biggest thing to, to, come out of the, to come out of the pandemic and I'm just hoping, like I said before, that that, that, will, that will carry on. I think um, solidarity with each other, knowing like, like I know that I'm in budget hell and I can look at Kevin and Claire and know that they understand what I'm going through. And I think that's really important. And I think knowing that you've got people where you can have collaborative conversations and be like, God, this is rubbish. Um, and I think the other thing to bear in mind, I think, you know, we're super sensitive in the pandemic to do with mental health and the fact that people were really struggling with not having an identity due to their work. You know, so many of us have an identity which is largely associated with work because you give everything into this industry because you love it and it's a passion project that you work for. And I think 
one of the things that we need to think about taking away is how important that mental health is still for everybody. You know, we, we had a chance to reset and to take some time out and to think about how we can make it better. And I think that's still a really important message that we should be driving forward this summer. I don't think we should be having a summer where we're like, God, this is insane. We can't do this anymore. I think we need to really look out for each other and our staff and our contractors. Great, great. Well, I think I agree with um, what, from my perspective, the formation of life, I think, is a very positive thing. You know, as I said earlier, I've been working with these competing promoters for many, many years. And finally, they're seeing that it's in everybody's best interest to work together. Uh, they're still going to be competing against each other, don't get me wrong. But at least they're working together and there's a big collaboration. And there's an understanding of how important it is as we as an industry as one speak particularly to government uh, so we can get the best for our industry. Um, there are many specific details, obviously I won't go into, but it's, that's the one big thing. And the other thing for, for us personally at the PSA is that with our charity stagehand, we, um, we were approached in the autumn of 2020 uh, by serious members of the music industry who wanted to donate and fund and make donations into our charity. Um, we collected over three and a half million pounds and we set up a system through Stagehand where for people who couldn't get support from government or anywhere else for financial support, if you had proved that you could be working in our industry for at least 12 months, then you could make an application to get a grant. And we thought we would do one or two rounds of these grants. So basically there are grants for 600 pounds per household or individual. We ended up doing 10. So we gave out over 3 million. And that was a big plus. And that helped a lot of people. Yeah. So in a sense, we've gone, we're going through very, very difficult challenges. But I think the universal belief here is that we're going to get stronger for it. And we will be stronger than we ever have been. Potentially more professional and more aware and caring of each other going forward. Is it fair to say that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that is. I hope so. Let's hope so. All right, well, thank you very much for all of you for, for coming. Um, and thanks very much for the panel, for your time. Want to learn more about the show that brings together event professionals from every sector? Visit eventproductionshow.co.uk.